Welcome to Changing the Perception of Blindness, One Conversation at a Time, where we aim to break down barriers, demystify blindness, and promote real and lasting change. Join host David Steinmetz as he connects us with professionals who are making a positive impact in the community. These leaders help empower individuals who are blind or have other disabilities to live a full and inclusive life. Let's lean in as David kicks off today's conversation. Hey, good afternoon, and welcome to this episode of Changing the Perception of Blindness, One Conversation at a Time. I'm your host, David Steinmetz. This show is really designed to connect with uh, business leaders, thought leaders, and people, in the, uh, professionals in the community who are making a difference in the lives of people who are blind, visually impaired, so that they can live a full and inclusive life in the community. I'm really excited for today's show. I have my special guest, Ken Meeker, on today. Ken is a certified professional coach. Uh, he, own, he is the owner of Vitality uh, Professional Coaching. He is a, a writer, a DEI, Diversity, Equity, and Inclusion Consultant. He is a disability advocate as well as a professional speaker. So Ken was also uh, chosen as a uh, member of the American Foundation for the Blind, part of their mentor leadership of the Centennial Mentor Leadership Program. So I would like to thank and introduce Mr. Ken Meeker. Hello. Thank you for having me on, David. My pleasure. Ken, so very active in the community, very active in the profession, in your professional life. And uh, great to hear the things that you're doing uh, out there in the world to improve um, the lives of your clients through professional coaching, as well as creating an inclusive workforce through your DEI. So thank you. Would you like to just take another moment to talk a little bit more about yourself and and, um, some of the other things that you're doing in the world? Sure. Happy to. Thank you. So yeah, I'm a certified professional coach. I launched my own coaching business at the beginning of uh, 2022. Really, my passion is people, and it's took me a, quite a while to figure out that, hey, I can turn my passion into a career because I didn't know it was a career for a lot, a lot of my life. Prior to my vision loss, which I encountered in 2014, I worked in the insurance industry at a high level for about 20 some odd years. And then I moved out to Arizona, suffered a severe infection in my eyes where I encountered permanent vision loss um, for me personally. After recovering from that, I was kind of I don't want to say lost, but I was young enough to where I needed something to do with the rest of my life. I didn't want mm-hmm. to go back into insurance. And so that's when I started building what is now my coaching program to really get myself unstuck. And over the years, I've built it up into what it is now. And it's something that I utilize with my clients. And when it comes to what I do with DEI, that's something I've always been passionate about is creating opportunities for traditionally marginalized groups in any capacity, no matter what. My attitude towards disability was created when I was very young. I have an aunt who uh, was very dear to me. She's passed away since, but she was in a wheelchair most of uh, her adult life. And she could do pretty much anything she wanted to. She drove a car. She, she She didn't want people to do things for her that she could do for herself. And that was very pivotal in sort of my attitude towards disability that's what led me to always advocate for inclusion amongst for all people, um, but especially with, when it comes with regard to disability. Sure, so. sure. Uh, thank you for that intro. And it's there's always on this show and and when I'm out in the community having conversations, a lot of similarities, parallel paths, right? If we have a major life event like you experienced through uh, your vision loss and and through my vision loss, um, where we find ourselves in in a place that what we thought was either important or whatever um, direction that we're going, and we may pivot to go into a different um, pathway. You were talking about uh, your relative who was disabled in and uh, in a wheelchair and just kind of saw that as, air quotes, you know, normal, just having a conversation and rideshare vehicle getting over here. And then, you know, of course, conversation comes up or, you know, have you been blind your whole life, et cetera. You know, I tell him my story and he's like, oh, man, I'm sorry. And I was like, well, why are you sorry? <laughs> I, 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 I'm living a full life. I'm doing what I'd love to do. Uh, there's no reason to apologize. I, I don't feel bad for it. And yeah. I was getting out of the car and he said something else. He said, you know, he apologized again for my blindness. And I was like, you know what? Sometimes in life, 
it's better not to be able to see some of the things around you than, oh, I say than what's really there. <laughs> so, <laughs> no, I, I feel your pain when it comes to the, uh, I use rideshare quite a lot and I get the exact same response. Oh, I'm so sorry. And it's like, I'm not. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm good. <laughs> exactly. So, you know, and that's, that's why, you know, we're connected here today. I know uh, you just uh, launched a podcast as well. Kind of having the same conversation is how do we de- demystify blindness and what blindness, you know, the image uh, what blindness is and, you know, it's everyday people live in everyday lives. And, and that's what I think is so amazing. And, and I appreciate you being here today. You mentioned you were in, in the insurance business for, for a few, couple of years prior to uh, starting your professional executive coaching program. How did you make that change or, or why that change from insurance? Uh, I know you kind of mentioned it, you'd like to connect with people, but in terms of your professional coaching, what led you down that path? So one of the things that I really loved when I worked in insurance is one of the things I was typically responsible for would be training employees, creating training programs. And something that I took the initiative on is really trying to foster growth with other people within the organization, whether it be um, offering opportunities for advancement, for you know one-on-one training, whatever it was, I wanted people to be able to thrive and create opportunity for people wherever possible. What was really one of the sort of moments where things shifted for me is I was leaving a job and um, this person who was my administrative assistant when I left the job, she had started as the mailroom person at the company. And I had asked, she was, uh, she was from Mexico. That this was when I lived in uh, California. And every day she would cross the border to come to work. She'd get up at like 3.30, 4 in the morning. She'd cross the border. She'd come to work. She'd nap in her car at lunch. And then she'd go back, she'd go back home. And that was her Monday through Friday for a relatively, you know, non-glamorous job. I saw somebody who is dedicated, hardworking, and I wanted to recognize that first of all and give her an opportunity to grow if she wanted. And so I asked her, you know, do you want to take on more responsibility? Do you want to learn new things? And so created opportunity for her to advance with the company. When I left, she was my administrative assistant. So she had moved up. And she walked me out to my car when I left. And this is probably around 2010, 2011. She gives me this huge hug and she starts crying. And I'm a big softy. I freely admit it. And I start crying. And I'm like, why are you crying, Norman? She's like, I'm so, so sad that you're leaving because nobody's ever believed in me and given me an opportunity the way that you have. And to me, that was somewhat shocking that mm-hmm. nobody had before right. because she was just tremendous. And that's sort of when I rec- realized that how my approach towards people maybe isn't as standard as it should be. <laughs> and after I'd moved out to Arizona and I had my vision loss, it took about two and a half years for me to, uh, just for my health to recover. So it was about mid-2016. And that's when I was healthy enough to where I was like, I need to figure out what I want to do with the rest of my life. Everything that was out there, all the tools that I had to sort of you know, assess myself and what my interests were, they didn't work anymore. My priorities had shifted. And I really wanted to do something that was personal and that I felt like made an impact Mm -hmm. for what mattered to me the most, which is people. Mm -hmm. And that's when I started to build this, what's now my coaching program at that point. And just over the years have, you know, tweaked it, modified it a little bit to where it's really come, turned into something pretty remarkable that that I use with my clients today. Where And a big part of that is it, it, it takes into consideration how values are integral in terms of our goals and achieving them and that kind of stuff. Yeah. Wow. What a great story. And, you know, um, to be able to take something that you're passionate about building up people, looking at the potential in in people and helping them realize their goals and aspirations, right. And, and achieving those things. That's amazing. Um, You were just saying that, you kind of tweak it to your your style or um, you know, based on your approach, a little bit different than some of the other people is based on values. Can you explain that a little bit more? Yeah, thank you. So values are what are our guiding principles in life in terms of what we decide to do and what not to do. And I'm big on personal assessments. I'm big on, you know, personal growth and learning and uh I think, you know, my, the best job I've ever had is student, which I plan on being for my whole life. And when I was uh, starting to build this program, one of the thing that I know, one of the things I noticed is that 
when it comes to values, there's there wasn't an objective sort of assessment or test to really determine what are my primary values. It was always subjective. And what I choose as my strongest values can change from day to day in terms of if I, if I just get to pick them. And people are terrible at being at self-analysis. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and so, you know, depending upon what's in front of you, that might change sort of how your daily values are. But when you step back in the bigger picture, your values are don't change a whole lot. They can shift over your lifetime, but they don't switch your your core values don't switch from day to day. Mm-hmm. And I wanted something that would help me to really figure out what my core values were on a very deep level. And that's when I started building what is a, it's it's an assessment that I've created that incorporates a concept called common cause, which is a communication technique, but it's an external communication technique about under if you want effective communication you have to speak to somebody's values and i'm just really really giving a cliff notes version of what it is sure and i sort of flipped that and made it apply to uh us internally because if we have to make choices we have values that we're consciously and most of the time unconsciously using to mm-hmm. make decisions and if you become aware of what your strongest values are, you can be more deliberate in what you choose to do and what you choose to go for and how you go about getting going for your goals and all that kind of stuff. And making sure that what you say is important is actually what's really deeply important to you. I wanted that so that I could help to sort of clear out the my own noise that I had because I was very successful in insurance financially. I did, I did very well in it. It's like, all right, well, that was awesome. But my priority wasn't you know, that type of success anymore. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But of course, you know, money's important. So you still got to make it. Right. (laughs) (laughs) And so it was, how do I align what I really care about with something that's a viable sort of career? Mm -hmm. And uh, that's when I really started to build it. And as I was, you know, testing it with, uh, with on myself and uh, people who were kind enough to, to Mm -hmm. let me use it on them. Right. Right. uh, It was effective. And that Mm -hmm. was the most, uh, uh, that was the key takeaway is that you know, integrating values into goals and making sure that you're aligning your strongest values with what you want is critically important to actually achieving those goals. And so that's yeah. where that's, it's a key part of, of how I work with clients. Yeah, that's so true, right? Is it comes down to almost in, sound like, like in believing in yourself or believing, right? If your core values are, are what are important to you and you believe in those core values and you build things plan, street plan, what have you, or direction that you want to go will help you gain and get into that mindset um, and help you along that path. If you don't really maybe have a clear understanding of that, maybe it's harder to get to that that finish line. Absolutely. Absolutely. That's something that I tell people all the time that I go over the difference between a wish and a goal. Mm-hmm. A wish is something we would like to happen, but a goal is something we will actually create a plan and can execute where it's not really left to chance, where you can map out, I want to get from here to here to here to here and how's I'm, and this is how I'm going to do it. That's a goal. You know, most uh, new year's resolutions are wishes, not goals. Yeah. Where they yeah. usually don't succeed. Mm-hmm. Very true. Yeah. It's, it's amazing that as, as you know, I'm sitting back and, and thinking about the, through this conversation is how do we get from that, from the place that we're at, to the place that we want to be and doing those self-assessments, those realizations, you know, what, and things that I've done in, in my past to uh, get me here behind the microphone today. And is it what I thought I would be doing, you know, 10 years ago or five years ago, or even, you know, a year ago. Um, but it's as the, the values and things that I, um, and desires that I have uh, to to share and change that perception of uh, blindness through these conversations has kind of you know changed and got me here today. So uh, it, it, truly a, a good tool that that you're and process that you've developed and through your career training. So fantastic. Yeah, it's it's awesome. It's amazing what we can achieve when we align our goals and our values. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. So as as a professional coach, um, as you mentioned, a person with, with, um, living with blindness or vision loss um, and a DEI consultant, how do those two things kind of blend in, in your coaching? 
on the surface, they kind of seem like they're different, but to me, they're not. So through my executive and you know career coaching, that's one-on-one type of, uh, and the clients get to decide what the objective it is. It can be something as simple as somebody who just needs somebody to, you know, a, a, another pair of eyes to look at their resume and refine it. I could do something as simple as that, or it could be something that's more long-term where it's somebody who really wants to develop leadership skills mm-hmm. or who wants to advance in their career and isn't sure how, where we, uh, I help them to develop a plan on how they can, they can do that. But then the flip side of that is there's a lot of marginalized, traditionally marginalized groups out there. And that's what DEI really is about. And I really try to focus on the E, which is equity, because it's the hardest part, any DEI initiative is how do you develop equity? How do you get uh, the people within an organization to really feel not just that they're there, that they have a spot, but that they have the tools and they're empowered to thrive within their position. And so I like to, um, I have, there's an analogy I like to use where uh, imagine an organization as having a, a luncheon or something like that. And so inclusion would be everyone's invited. Diversity would be if the makeup of the people that's there is representative of either their their community or society as a whole. Mm -hmm. Equity is where the needs of each person that's that's invited is being met. So if there's somebody in a wheelchair that they can pull up to the table and be at the same level as somebody else, that people that are using mobility devices of some sort aren't relegated to some other table Mm -hmm. and aren't part of the group as a whole, they're not... They're, they're not uh, shown that they're other, that they have what is necessary in order for them to participate fully in that luncheon. That's equity. And that's the hardest part because it really, really, really takes a commitment from an organization to build it and to reach out and meet the needs of the people that are within that organization so that they can thrive at their job. And that's really what I focus on. And when it comes to employment, you know, the sad truth is that a lot of people living with a disability, whether it be blindness or something else, they encounter so many obstacles that often they gave up. And I don't, mm-hmm. sometimes I don't blame them because it can be very, very difficult to just, you know, reach barrier and barrier and barrier. And you're like, well, why do I keep trying this if I, it's just, they give up out of frustration. Right. And so by implementing DEI and specifically focusing on the equity aspect of it, that's where you create opportunities for more poor more people to work and more people to thrive and reach the potential, which is really what the core of what I do is, is helping people to thrive and not just uh, reach the potential, but for them to see it and to understand it and recognize it and say, yeah, I, I can be this or that and not, not think that they're not capable mm-hmm. and to empower, you know, and part of it when it comes to, you know, the advocacy work is empowering people to understand that sometimes you're going to encounter roadblocks. Yes, it happens. But if you're empowered with the knowledge and the ability to advocate for yourself, you can get over that stuff. And if you are truly the most qualified person for a job, disability or not, you need to walk into that interview or roll into that. However you get there, you need Mm -hmm. to get to that interview Mm -hmm. and you need to show that and demonstrate that that's what's going to get you the job. If you can't, number one, if you can't do the job, you shouldn't be applying in the first place. Right. But aside from that, I don't let disability get in your own way is a big thing of what I believe. Yeah, absolutely. And that, that word you, you're using, empowerment, right? Taking control of, of the situation or your destiny or, or direction. And maybe through, your, through the coaching and professional coaching, it, it's not just, okay, I imagine just not looking at, at a resume or going in, but it's the confidence and understanding as you were talking about your your values, um, your skills, and how you incorporate all those things together to walk in as a as a confident candidate, demonstrate the skill sets um, that you have to achieve the job. Absolutely, yeah. Absolutely. And- a big part of working with, uh, especially with people that have had long career breaks, mm-hmm. and sometimes it, it you know it can certainly disability is a huge part of that. I, I encountered it myself. Mm-hmm. And I've worked in that sector as well. But then there's people like if uh, somebody goes is has a long employment break due to maybe they had a child mm-hmm. or they were caring for a loved one. Who knows? Anytime that there's this long employment break, there's so much anxiety associated with that person going back to work and overcoming that. And it's, and it's even more so when somebody encounters disability because there's a confidence issue that's broken mm-hmm. and helping people to recognize that they're just they're the same person 
just how they do things is different and building up that confidence that they are, they're not any less than just because they have to do something differently mm-hmm. is, a, is is probably one of the biggest parts of, you know, uh, when anytime I'm lucky enough to work with somebody who has disability, I, 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 I like it because nothing is better than that sort of that moment when somebody recognizes that they are just as capable as they've always been. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's so true. And, and whether it's, whether it's a disability, visual impairment, and, and when I'm talking to, to large groups and, Often we'll uh, just ask them to close their eyes and you know, and say, "Are you are you still a husband or a wife? Are you still a partner? You know, whatever category you fit into doesn't change because you can't see what's in front of you, mm-hmm. and it's understanding that and saying that, like I said, you just have to do things a little bit different. You're still the same person. What defines you is what you do with with uh, your talents and skills, not necessarily." a disability or, or whatever barrier in, in life that you may have. And mm-hmm. I think sometimes it's, it's hard uh, when you're faced with all these, all this negative noise, I guess, in the, out there to be able to get past that part of it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's, that's a bit, that's one of the reasons that I started my new podcast, which is, it's called Dissing My Ability. And I have, candid conversations with people with all different types of disabilities. Uh, we're just on to episode three that came out this week. And the one that came out this week, I've actually interviewing a very close friend of mine. We've been friends for over 30 years and she uh, was diagnosed with MS a few years ago. She just talks about her journey through it. And really it's about removing that sense of shame that a lot of people with a disability mm-hmm. have that feeling of otherness mm-hmm. or that they, 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 they don't necessarily belong. The podcast is really designed to where if I know I felt alone in my disability when it first happened and I had a tremendous support system mm-hmm. and I know a lot of people don't have that. It's really designed for, I want people to hear it and be like, you know what, what I'm going through, I'm not alone. And they and have like a lifeline to where, you know what, there is, there's a light on the other side. Yes, it's a journey. I've had a ton of therapy, mm-hmm. um, <laughs> you know, use your resources, Yeah, but, but um, it, it can get, it can get better and you should not feel any sense of shame in who you are. Mm-hmm. You're, you're, you're a perfect human just as you are. And you don't need to try to hide that mm-hmm. because that, that, that damages you. And that, it, that's no way to go, especially to go into a job, feeling a sense of shame and hot and hiding because right. people always tend to assume the worst. Mm-hmm. Don't let them, don't let them do that. Right. Good. Good point. And, you know, whether it's like I said, disability or, um, you know, other barriers to employment, all these things that happen, the experiences in your life, they all come out through whether it's in a job interview or once you've landed a job or in a career, then all these experiences influence um, your day-to-day work life or your in your day-to-day personal life. So it's really kind of addressing and, and thinking about those things going back to your, your values and looking at those and how those experiences, those values guide you through your, through life. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Are you living by your values? Cause the truth is in the pudding pudding. So as I say, I think it's, uh, you know, do your actions match what you believe your, your values are? Because if they don't, then there's some sort of disconnect. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And so we're talking about, diversity, equity, and inclusion. We're talking about disabilities and, and things. When you're working with an organization, how, what does that approach look like in, talking, in terms of you know, integrating a DEI program uh, to an employer? Where, where's the benefit um, to, the, to them? So I really try to focus on small business because that's where I believe the greatest opportunity is in terms of growth for DEI. Most large companies, they have you know, HR departments, some of them have even departments devote, devoted just to DEI. And there's plenty of people already chasing that. There's not enough attention being given to, I think, small business owners, which is the majority of businesses in this country. Mm-hmm. And that's really where I think the greatest opportunity lies, because I really do believe people overall, by and large, are good, that mm-hmm. they want to be inclusive and that they care about other people. But when it comes to small business owners, and I'm generally speaking like 50 and fewer employees, they don't have HR departments. The owner is the HR department. <laughs> payroll, payroll, HR, yeah, yeah, yeah marketing. They do the hiring. Yeah. They, yeah. yeah, they do it all. And they're just trying to keep their business open. They're trying to keep the money coming in. 
And it's not that they don't care about this stuff. It's just that they have so many other things on their plate and that it may seem too big. They don't know how to do it. It might seem expensive. And so what I really try to do is the, it, it ha, you know, scaling matters. And when it comes to something like DEI, scaling really matters mm. because with a business that has 50 or fewer employees, you can get everyone into a room. And that's really where you start these initiatives is by having a conversation mm-hmm. and getting it out in the open. What are what is what does inclusion mean in that organization? Why do they why does it matter? Why does creating an environment that is inclusive for everybody within that business matter? From a business standpoint, there's a lot of advantages. Mm-hmm. When compared to their peers, businesses that have a more diverse and inclusive workforce, they perform better financially, they have lower turnover, they they recruit better talent, they're more innovative, they perform better. The, matri- the metrics are there mm-hmm. uh, on that aspect of it. Plus, it's just the right thing to do. Mm-hmm. Yeah, interesting that, um, you know, I think as you're talking about mid to large size companies that are rolling out uh, DEI programs and DEIA for accessibility at the end, mm-hmm. um, whereas the small business, do you think that there's a a cost barrier or cost to to do this to the organization, and you think that maybe that prevents also or contributes to uh, them not doing a program. I think it's an assumption of cost. I don't think that there's an actual. I think the payoff is far greater than any cost that they're going to incur in terms of trying to implement it, mm-hmm. because they don't have you know fifty thousand employees across multiple continents. That where they're trying to roll it out, because that takes years. With you can get everybody in a room and everybody to buy into it, mm-hmm. that's a heck of a lot easier. Mm-hmm. And when you can sit down and have those conversations, it doesn't require changing po- you know, massive policies and procedures. What it means is giving people that need a reasonable accommodation an avenue to do it, mm-hmm. putting those types of things in place. It doesn't require some major shift in terms of how they run their business. It, it does require a little bit of time. And let's look at the job descriptions that we have and make sure that we're not limiting who might apply to this because of some of the verbiage that we use. Mm-hmm. Things like that. It takes that, but those are not really expensive things to do mm-hmm. because they can. somebody could call me. They could be like, hey, this is something that I care about. What I'm going to charge somebody to go over those job descriptions and to go over that stuff is going to be a lot less than if they don't meet the needs of somebody who needs a reasonable accommodation. Yeah, and that person files a suit and files something with the EEOC. I'm a lot cheaper than that. (laughs) (laughs) It's so true. It's it's amazing. And even, as you mentioned, you know, reasonable accommodations, they're not very expensive, right? I mean... No. In most cases. Yeah, most most cases. Yeah. And as you said, the return on that, um, the, the productivity, the the creativeness and problem-solving skills and, and so forth that diversity and inclusion and, and equity bring into the workplace just um, helps propel as you were talking about. So it seems like it would be a, you know, a no-brainer to think about these things at uh, no matter what size the organization is, but especially in the, in the small business world. I think so. So in terms of small business or even in, in business in general, I, I know there's, you know, the Americans with Disability Act and some other legislative laws surrounding employment. Don't those cover a DEI initiative or is that different? Uh, can you explain? I'm a little confused about it. So the ADA, which actually just celebrated its what, 30th anniversary, I think, is amazing and it's great. But really what that does is it sets the baseline for what qualifies as discrimination, and it incorporates the, you know, the aspect of reasonable accommodations, how to file if you believe you've been discriminated against. It sets the baseline, mm-hmm. and it's critically important, absolutely. But DEI is something that goes a step above that. I see DEI as more of a, a moral imperative, so mm-hmm. to speak, to really create a place that attracts the most diverse number of people that's inclusive to people, because from a business perspective, there's an advantage to doing that. Uh, hmm. I, as somebody with severe vision loss, have to problem solve differently than somebody who has normal vision. Hmm. That is an advantage to a business because I'm going to think about solving problems in a different manner than somebody else. Right. That is a competitive advantage for a business. 
And the more you can implement that stuff, the more difference of ideas, the more different viewpoints you have towards solving problems and making a business run. That's why they're more innovative. That's why they perform better is because it's not just this one way of thinking, you know, that those businesses, even if they're successful, they don't tend to last a whole long time if they don't attract new ideas, new talent. And so there's that. But when it comes to like the ADA, that's really where reasonable accommodations really is the biggest thing that it added when it became law. But so I would say the ADA is a baseline of what businesses need to do legally. DEI is the right thing to do. Almost like a strategic, it part, should be part of a strategic initiative, yeah. right? And in terms of hiring practices and, and employment law and things like that, the ADA kind of lays lays those guidelines out, but maybe the, the roadmap to achieving an inclusive workforce is that, that DEI program. Yeah. Help. DEI helps, you know, I mean, I don't want to bore anybody with uh, <laughs> with legal jargon about uh-huh. insurance and, and lawsuits and all that kind of stuff. But, you know, DEI, by implementing DEI, it really does protect your business in a lot of other ways that the ADA is not even intended to, 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 to govern, hmm. you know, by making sure that you are not, that you're actively not trying to discriminate versus just, you know, passively doing it mm-hmm. um, by really reviewing your stuff and saying, you know what, maybe we're not, uh, maybe we are not including, you know, the good friend of mine, she works for an electronics company. We'll use that as an example. She created the DEI initiative at the company she works for. And when reviewing all of the different job descriptions, they noticed that one of the reasons they don't have as many uh, women applying to the engineering jobs is because of the way that the job postings were listed. Hmm. They didn't gravitate towards being inclusive to all people. They would, they had terms, they had job requirements that were tended to uh, swing male first. Hmm. And so as soon as they made those changes, the number of people that applied to those jobs, and so the pool of people they had to pick from was greater. And that's really where it comes to. There's a strategic advantage to implementing this stuff for business. Yeah, that's, that's amazing. Um, the, the difference in the wording or uh, phrasing of uh, a job description, because most of the time I think about a, a DE&I initiative is this big monster, right, that we're going to take on and, and try and tackle. But it, it can start with just a simple review of, of a job announcement, job description. Yeah. And, you know, you're, you're kind of on that road. Uh, oftentimes I'll, I'll see in a, in a job announcement, um, you know, some of the, the minimum requirements is that uh, to have a, a valid driver's license, but the job mm-hmm. necessarily yep. doesn't require, doesn't but say no driving. Right. In, in, the, in, <laughs> in, the, in the responsibility, then say you will, you will take somebody or you yep. will deliver X, Y, Z, whatever it is. So it's yep. like, why, why does the valid driver's license required here? I can still get from point A to point B. You hit um, the nail on the head. You, you, you hit the nail on the head with that. And that is very, very common. For mm-hmm. businesses, you must have a valid ID. You must have a valid driver's license. What people need to have is the legal ability to work in the United States and have a valid ID. Right. That's what they need, not a driver's license. It's a common thing, yeah, mm-hmm. unfortunately, a lot. And what that does is I don't drive, you don't drive. So I won't apply to those jobs if I was looking for a job because mm-hmm. I don't have a driver's license. Right, yeah. I don't drive. Nobody wants me driving. <laughs> <laughs> yeah exactly i i hear you and, and that's that's why you know i look at at these um, organizations or i look at um, these initiatives and i think it it's not as hard as you may think it is and taking small steps to broaden your uh, talent pool seems like it would be a really good thing for an organization Seems like a no-brainer yeah, to me. Yeah, and then to be able to uh, bring them in and see the talent and really help propel the organization forward. So, yeah, I agree. It's Sometimes it, it, you just kind of shake your head or scratch your head and, and go, okay, well, you know, they'll get there eventually, hopefully. Yeah, hopefully, yeah, if they're still around. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> exactly, exactly. So how... When when you're working with an organization and in your consulting business, and you're kind of first meeting with them, what is what does some of the conversation look like, or 
what are some of the strategies that you, you know, besides the job description we were just talking about, or I love the analogy of, you know, making sure that um, your luncheon uh, is <laughs> equitable to everybody, everybody can, can show up, right, and, and, and participate. What is so your, what are the, yeah. is to get, I want to understand what their, their business is first, what their, uh, and what their goal is. Cause I think that's critically important is to understand what their goal, what their aim is and go from there. Because if I don't understand what they're, why they're wanting to implement this stuff, mm-hmm. I'm making an assumption and I'm going to, I could be going wrong or I could take the wrong approach to it mm-hmm. and see, you know, really how they where that why they think it's necessary within their business, why they think that there's a need within their business, because maybe they're doing everything right. Uh, and I'm not going to make an assumption that a business is doing it wrong. Mm-hmm. So first of all, I want to have those conversations and be like, okay, well, let's let's sit down, let's have a conversation, let's talk about it, and let's see where there's that opportunity to really to 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 maybe to, mm-hmm. to shift something or to do something. I'm not going in it just for the like obviously I like being paid. Who right. doesn't? Right. But my motivation is about doing the right thing for not for other people and for the organization so that they stick with it so that they see the value in it and that it's meeting their needs as a business as well because mm-hmm. that's that's pretty that's critically important it's they shouldn't be doing it out of obligation maybe they should be doing it because it's what they want to do and they see the value in it but i have to understand why they're coming to me first yeah that that's so true you know at arizona industries for blind where i work we have a quality work environment program and it really kind of takes a look at all aspects of internal and external as well, the organization, its values, as we, you know, you, you refer back to, you know, the mission and all those things lining up to empower the employees to reach their, their maximum potential. So, you know, you look at accessibility, you look at uh, promotional opportunities, you look at workflow and, and, you know, work documents, are they all accessible? Does everybody have access to the same information, right? How is the information disseminated? Just lots of different things. And then also on the external side is what is it that you're doing in the community, working within the community to bring awareness or to support the community? So it, I think, you know, a DEI program looks, should does it look like similar to that is in terms of internal sure. and external? So the thing about, you know, it, it, what are the reasons it's, it, it, there's not a one size fits all approach is because let's say it's a small office. Like, let's say it's a small, uh, you know, there, there's 20 people working for an office. The approach to something like that is going to be very different from, let's say, a small restaurant. Mm-hmm. Their needs are so different in terms of the approach and what is going to be necessary to implement these types of things. Because one of them has a kitchen, there's cooking, and there's customers, and there's a lot of traffic. The other one is an office where there's not a whole lot of people coming in. There's not a lot of movement. So really what the needs are are very different. And if I don't understand their the, the business, I, I can't go in there and really help them to implement this kind of stuff. Because I am if I'm taking an approach that I would use for an office to a restaurant, it's not going to mm-hmm. fit. Mm-hmm. And so that's why it's critically important. But yes, absolutely, to your point, internally and externally, you know, if it's a more forward-facing business like a restaurant where you have a lot of flow of customers and people are frequently coming in, as a customer myself, I want to go to, into a business and I want to see myself represented there in some fashion mm-hmm. because that's how you get people to come back. Right, right, yeah, exactly. exactly. <laughs> and so if everything is homogenous within, a, within, a, within a, a business in terms of all of the people, they're all the same, mm-hmm. uh, how are you bringing in marginalized people? How are you attracting new customers? Mm-hmm. Because that's more business to to bring in. And so by having a business that is truly representative of the people that work within it, Mm -hmm. represent the community at large, that's that's, that's the model that you want to look for so that people feel seen. Yeah, it's very true. I I know that um, there's some very large global organizations that for a long time had, for example, a a policy that, uh, you know, no tattoos. Mm-hmm. Uh, their employees couldn't, if you had a tattoo, it had to be covered. And I've noticed over the years that that policy has shifted. And so now their employees can, you know, display or, or don't have to cover their tattoos. And, you know, you may see uh, people with, with more piercings or hair color or whatever it is, right? Mm-hmm. Because they're representing that store in that community and the people that are coming in there most likely are similar in 
whatever those those categories may be. Yeah, and how is their how is you know their tattoo in any way, shape, or form relevant to the business and their ability to perform as an employee? Yep. That's something that I always go back to. Mm-hmm. That person could be a completely stand-up knockout employee. Why are you going to not want to hire somebody based on something that's purely aesthetic? And uh, uh, granted, you know, if there's an eyeball on somebody's forehead, sure, I get it. Mm-hmm. But <laughs> um, that, but that even that person could still be an incredibly mm-hmm. high mm-hmm. performer. Look at the qualifications of somebody. Don't not don't looking at something just on the very very you know superficial surface level is is a recipe for disaster. And that's mm-hmm. also where you are more likely to see attorneys get involved. Right, right. Oh, I I think on that topic, it really goes back to what the theme of the show is: is the perception that maybe somebody with a tattoo is whatever, mm-hmm. and um, somebody on the other side of the counter is going to be turned off, afraid, whatever it is, or make, make a, a judgment and not come into the store. So I just lost a customer because of that, ta- that tattoo going along with my show, that, that same perception that we think that somebody with a disability, someone who's blind doesn't have anything to contribute. They don't have the ability to perform a job. And so I'm going to discount it as, you know, put it in the other, you know, the circular file cabinet over here and, and move on to the next candidate. It's how to, whether it's in a work environment or in life, right, is how do we change that? How do we do that? And then through DEI initiatives and awareness campaigns and understanding that people with tattoos or people who are blind have the same capabilities. Yeah. And they're For all people. Yeah, exactly. And, and that's, that's one of the biggest challenges and things that, that just makes me shake my head is, is why don't enough people understand that? I, I agree. I think a big part of it is, uh, so anytime I'm using my white cane, there's a, I know for a lot of, of, of blind and low vision people using a cane is when they're first starting to can be sort of an obstacle for them. Mm-hmm. It's like, ah, well, people are going to stare. And I go, yes, they're going to stare because you're probably the first blind person they've ever seen. Mm-hmm. You're probably the first person they've ever seen who's using a cane. So there's a natural curiosity. Mm-hmm. There's nothing wrong with that. It's an opportunity to teach, to, 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 to be like, hey, this is, you know what? I'm good in the dark anytime, no matter what, because I can use my cane. Mm-hmm. I can get around just fine. Mm-hmm. If the power goes out, most people are screwed. I'm not. Yep. <laughs> you know, I follow I, me. Yeah, exactly. I'm doing, I'll be just fine. Mm-hmm. You know, so it's things like that. I, you know, I think of my disability as my superpower. And I genuinely believe that mm-hmm. because it has changed my perspective and the way that I live my life in such a positive way that I wouldn't take it back even if I could, mm-hmm. because it has given me problem solving abilities that I didn't have before and a perspective that I didn't have before that I value and I think has made me a better person. Mm-hmm. And so, I never see disability in a negative light. Can it be difficult? Yes, it hurts when I run into a pole, (laughs) (laughs) which does happen. But you know what? I shake it off and I move on. And that's just life. Everybody has stuff that in for themselves that happens. Mm -hmm. But recognizing and sort of getting to that other side of, you know what? The disability is only a disadvantage if you let it be. And I firmly believe that. And it takes time to get there. And it's a journey. Yes, like I said, I've had a lot of therapy to get me to this point, (laughs) but it's possible. And I think when you come out the other side, uh, you don't ever get over it, Mm -hmm. but you do move through it and you get to a better place. And I think that's absolutely possible. And shaking off the shame, shaking off all of these Mm -hmm. sort of, well, I can't do this. I don't, uh, I don't believe in can't. I believe it shouldn't. I shouldn't drive a car. (laughs) (laughs) I could, I could, but I really shouldn't. You know, I believe in that because Mm -hmm. don't put limits on yourself that are unnecessary, that that are not necessary. Yeah. And and that's so true. I think. Uh, and I appreciate you saying that. It's, it's a great point is everybody has something uh, mm-hmm. in, in their life and how we deal with those things. Um, and, you know, you, you bounce off and you keep going. And that's what, what life is really about. Um, you can get stuck and uh, sit, sit in one place, but it's not going to do you any good. Yeah, and I'm so, never going to be a famous singer and that has nothing to do with my vision. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. So we're getting getting close uh, to the end of our our show here. We got a little bit to go. We talked a lot about uh, DEI and and creating the value that it brings to an organization. 
And when you tie that to your professional development, what, what kind of guidance are you giving maybe some of your clients to help them through that process of utilizing, as you said, your, your superpowers, right? Whether it's a disability or something else, you know, because I, I imagine you work with clients that have a disability and those that don't. Mm-hmm. Um, how do you tie those initiatives together? Or how can someone who is coming to you, how can they utilize that inclusion, diversity, and equity to their advantage? It depends on what the client is seeking, first of all. Hmm. But let's say somebody is feeling stuck in their career and they're like, I don't know if it's the right fit. I don't know if I need to move to something else or if it's just a new job or if it's this employer or whatever, helping them to get unstuck. It's like, okay, well, because sometimes you could have, you could be working in the right industry, just the wrong company because maybe your personal values don't align with the, the company values and that can create some serious tension. Mm-hmm. And so identifying sort of where the barrier is and where the roadblock is, is, is first and foremost. And then going from there. So like, you know, maybe they are, maybe they're from a traditionally marginalized group and they don't feel like they belong within the organization they're working at, that they feel like they're never recognized for their accomplishments or, or something like that. Them making a shift, you know, they don't they maybe don't need to change their, career, they just need to find a different employer. And so really identifying that is, is, is part of that in discovering, okay, well, what are the values that you, where you want to work? What kind of organization do you want to belong to and, and work for? Mm-hmm. Um, that's sort of where the kind of, you know, intersect would be there. Mm-hmm. Right, so kind of really under, kind of matching your values Maybe with with the organization's values, mm-hmm. absolutely, uh, yeah. Versus, I think that's very important because mm-hmm. hmm. if there's a if there's not aligned, you know, if you're if you're working for a company that is driven strictly by something that is kind of that goes in that flies in the face of what you really care about, mm-hmm. that's it's going to be hard to fully commit to that. And and it's not that either one is good or bad. It's just that there's a disconnect there and you're not going to be able to fully commit because that's not what drives you. Mm -hmm. And so in order to truly be successful within a career, you have to be able to, you have to be able to get through those sort of rough patches because not everything is going to be rainbows and sunshine, right? (laughs) (laughs) No matter how much you love your job. It's still work, right? But when you work in something and you're working for an organization that you believe in and you believe in the work that you do, those times when something, when a hiccup comes, Mm -hmm. they're, they're not so bad. You can push through them because you believe in the work you're doing and you work for an organization that you believe in and that, that you feel supports you. That's really important. Hmm. Yeah. And just kind of taking that in for, for a second there. And it's so, so true that I think, especially nowadays where, where people are really kind of focusing on what their values are, uh, what's important to them and trying to relate that to the work that they're doing that helps them, you know, makes them feel, I don't want to just say makes people feel good, right? Because, because work is still work and, Mm -hmm. and we have to do, to put food on the table. Uh, Most of us have to work. But Um, it's okay if your work makes you feel good. There's nothing wrong with that. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So true. And so I think that, you know, I think you see a big, a bigger shift in the way that employers or organizations uh, to start, focusing on that to meet people kind of where they are or do you feel that you know probably i'll I'll just say the olden days right um this is what we do and this you're going to do it or there's the door i think that there's a uh, there has been a very large shift i'm not trying to plug any particular company but i had the i was lucky enough to be on a panel with uh, an an executive with uh, jp morgan chase who is uh who has worked within their DEI initiative for like 15 years. That's how long they've been Mm. doing at that company was 15 years. And they're still adapting and trying to, you know, get it, you know, refined as, you know, but they've made significant progress. And I think just in order to stay, to not become a dinosaur in any industry, you have to adapt and you have to change. And if you really want to stay relevant, you have to attract the best talent. And the only way you're going to do that is by broadening the pool of people you bring into an organization. Mm-hmm. If everything is homogenic, it's not. You're not going to have innovation. You're not going to. You're not going to stay current. You're not going to stay relevant. Mm-hmm. You have to change with times if you want to stay around. 
It's mm. just, but yes, I think there's a, a significant shift within the larger co- the corporate corporations. There's definitely a huge shift over the last few years towards this arena. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I've seen a lot of that as well. I think in terms of that that shift and employers really looking and and valuing the contributions that everybody brings to the organization. And um, it's, it's about time. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely. Ken, we're, we're just about uh, at, at the uh, top of the hour. And so how do people get in contact with you? Certainly. So they can uh, go to my website. It's uh, vitalitycareercoaching.com. If they want to reach me, they can email me at Ken, that's K-E-N, Meeker, M-E-E-K-E-R-A-Z, at gmail.com. And uh, my phone is 602-505-9146. And they can also find me on LinkedIn, and it's just Ken Meeker, A-Z. So I'm pretty pretty easy to find. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> well, well, Ken, it's been a pleasure speaking with you today. I, I really enjoyed it. Uh, very insightful, um, great tidbits um, and sharing. And I, I'm really appreciative of that. And I think it really go, follows the line of what my podcast radio show is doing is really to change that perception um, of blindness and, and perception in, in any capacity, uh, whether you. it's uh, blindness or, or any others. And through having one conversation at a time, and I think it just continues to reinforce the fact that when it comes to blindness, that people who are blind with the right training, the right technology, and the right attitude can be successful and compete in the workplace. So thank you very much, Ken. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Changing the Perception of Blindness, One Conversation at a Time with your host, David Steinmetz. Be sure to subscribe to Changing the Perception of Blindness, One Conversation at a Time on your favorite podcast platform. And tune in live on Phoenix Business Radio X every third Friday at 1 p.m. We hope you feel inspired by today's conversation, and maybe we've even sparked a new idea or opportunity.